I'm Jean McCaddy, and you're listening to FTTV. Hi. So, if Prince would just shut the fuck up for a wee second, we could get started with the show. Right. Gonna go Prince. Away Prince. Aye, Prince is the opening song for the, the chat with shows. Oh, okay. Shut up, Prince. Shut up. Right, I think Prince will be gone by now. Anyway, I'm here <laughs> <laughs> on the FTTV stream with uh, with Mr. Jack Higgins. Jack, how's it going? Oh, what is happening? It is Aye. a dreary day in Erskine and I'm um, looking out into my back garden and it looks absolutely pish. Aye, Aye. It's, a dreary, it's a dreary day in Renfrew. To be fair as well, I know they're not that much different, right? But there's some days yeah, where Renfrew can be sunny and Erskine can be like absolutely chucking a rain. I've found in the last couple of months of experimenting with the, the weather living here, uh, but it looks like we're both in the same boat today. It is uh, we should mention this is the first thing going up in the FTTV feed for a wee while. We're just going to get into one of the biggest events that's happened in your life and, of course, your family's life recently. Uh, Mary. Has, was with child and now is with child child is with her and <laughs> that is normally how it happens <laughs> uh, yes uh, once upon a time my niece was born um, mm. and it's uh, what a glorious time yeah good time for the family unfortunately it's these unfortunate uncertain times uh, mm. that we Millie has been born into but um, mm. it is you know, still such a wonderful thing, and it's the thing that's keeping us going just now. Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely class, and that obviously you didn't even mention Sean there, poor Sean. Uh, that means that obviously <laughs> Sean is both, the father. Sean has to get used <laughs> both, to this. <laughs> yeah, both Mary and Sean are out of action in terms of podcasting, as far as podcasting goes, because um, they have an actual person to look after. So that's um, you know that's as <laughs> good a reason audience. as any. Yeah, that's as good a reason as any to be fair. Aye. Um, and. With me on uncle duties, um, it just means, well, it doesn't really mean anything, to be honest. It just means that I get to love her Aww. and uh, go around and just give her absolutely all the wee smushy cuddles. That's all I can do, to be honest. Oh, it's good to get a positive start to these shows before we get into the dim and gloom of the lifestyle. So <laughs> I, really, I really do enjoy that. <laughs> uh, but that's that's lovely, obviously, and we wish all the best to Mary and, of course, Sean. I'm only, only kidding. But it is a thing. Oh, kidding, that. Don't care about Sean. All, <laughs> no, I love Sean. But it is a thing. The father barely like, ever gets the kind of like, because the mum's carrying the wane. Like, do you not find that? Like, you're like, oh, congratulations to the mum and then sometimes you're like oh the, how does the dad feel sitting there like, you know? <laughs> I, well I mean I think both of them are getting on pretty well uh, with it so um, yeah of course Mary's got most of the plaudits for it but <laughs> uh, you know Sean's um, Sean's doing his part as well I'm sure and um, oh, she's just so lucky to be in my family because my family's class so <laughs> she could have been, she could have been born into any any family, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, she's just absolutely fortunate that she's in she's in mine. It's class. She's got the best uncle it's... in the world, and the best parents, and the best grandparents, and and great grandparents as well. Who are uh, that is still, still fit and healthy and running about. So that's um, yeah. As I said, she's she's absolutely blessed um, as ah. a wee. I have to ask you this question because, like, I've known your family for a very, very long number of years now. So I have to say, when I I figured out 
that Les and Jean were great grandparents. That made me feel very old. Did it? Like, did you have a similar experience when Millie was born? Like, oh my god, I'm so happy she's here, but I feel old as fuck now. <laughs> no, you, I remember you messaged me that saying like, oh, you, that just means you're old as fuck now. But like, to be honest, like, <laughs> 23 and being an uncle is kind of what I was like. I've I've always known you. You're, you're, di- you're different because you're the eldest of your siblings That's so true. I've always That's known true. that I was going to be younger than my sister when I was going to be an uncle or you know if I was ever going to be an uncle so you know right. I, I'd you know I was kind of um I don't know I was expecting it to be honest you know like I, I was already, already excited up for it so 23 and being an uncle hasn't made, hasn't made me feel any older to be honest but right. I do get what you're saying the fact that my grandparents are now great grandparents because I I was lucky enough to have a great gran um, Mm -hmm. like growing up and stuff and she was like a grand you know that way you don't it's a strange concept because a lot of people don't you know don't live to see their uh, their great grandparents and stuff so yeah um, it's not that common but Mm -hmm. it it does make it's just like an extra grandparent you know what I mean it's um, no it's an an interesting one I can relate to it yeah, and and it's just I suppose it's strange to to hear my mum getting called grandma. You know, well obviously Millie isn't speaking, but um, you know the the fact that we are we are <laughs> kind of re- see that's a very quick progression. But I just mean we we obviously we are kind of referring to we refer to Mary and, and Sean as mummy and daddy, and do you know mm. what I mean? That way it's just kind of like a a thing now. Uh, that's probably the the biggest transition or the or the, the strangest transition. It's probably hearing like my mum get like you know my sister will call her grandma or do you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, when she's talking to Millie. So yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. But um, no, nah, I wouldn't say it's made me feel any older. It's just made me feel I don't know happy. <laughs> happy, I'm just, just happy. I'm just, just happy, happy man. Just having a just make people laugh and have, <laughs> having a good time. That's what we're here for. Oh, I love that man. I love that like that. <laughs> If anyone doesn't know where that quote's from, it was the first uh, football charity event. It was Gus came along to, and he, well, that was a great soundbite from you. It was just like <laughs> make people happy and have a good time. Well, I was about three, I was three or four pints deep, and I and I had a big smile on my face, and she just got up to me. She was like, "So, I, I, what, what is the point of these?" And I was like, "It's just a good time. <laughs> just want to make people happy and have a good time." I don't know what to say. Do you want a uh, shot, mate? <laughs> I'd, I'd rambled on for about 20 minutes before that, so I was just talking absolute beans, and then I thought, right, I better actually just round this off with something quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the best finish that you've ever done. For uh, that was, podcast that was the best finish, <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, so, basically, this is second in the chat list show. The first one was with Nikki, and I started off with uh, the question there. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were like really, really young, what was like the first thing that you were like, oh, that's that's the dream, that's what I want to do with my life? Like, was it something pure stupid or is it something that you're pure like, uh, I could still want to do that today? I mean, it's stupid, but it, you know, you never rule anything out, you know. I always wanted to be, a, <laughs> I always wanted to be a spy, so you know, mm. it's stupid, obviously. Uh, but that's, um, I mean, well, I'm not supposed to say, but you know, it's not, <laughs> could never rule it out, <laughs> you know. Uh, Recruitment are going <laughs> the current in the current climate. I'm not uh, gonna really any jobs. <laughs> listen, I'm unemployed here. If, if a spy agency wants to pick me up, you know what you know where to find me. Um <laughs> but I think that I, that was always that was fucking I just used to always love like action movies and spy movies and mm. um I used to have this big encyclopedia uh, called I, spy, I remember that. Spyology. 
mm-hmm. and it was like a it was a an encyclopedia slash um like kind of interactive book where you would yeah. you would have to go through the book and solve the kind of the crime or solve the riddle throughout the book uh, yeah. and you kind of took on the role as the, as the main spy in it but then there was loads of like information that was going on throughout it as well so it's pretty class um, do you think you'd be a good spy though like do you think do you think you have the, the tool set to be to be a spy in the current or like in this situation yeah, absolutely absolutely <laughs> see the thing is right the thing is with spies spies are usually the ones that you least expect so they i think they are now going for a kind of employment uh quota where they try to get people who mm. you know can still meet the physical requirements but you know certainly don't uh mm. certainly don't fit the description um so that you know kind of melissa mccarthy whatever it's called that what's that movie um, that's called spy it's called spy <laughs> funnily enough you know what I mean I think they try to get they try to get uh, yeah folk that maybe just don't fit the description she's obviously overweight and a big daft woman so she um, she's a dad she has a dafty that is uh, very true uh, it's not the fact that she's a woman that makes her daft it's just that she's a daft woman she just happens to be woman <laughs> Before I get cancer. just to clarify, just to clarify, <laughs> I'm not calling all women daft. Just this specific just woman, this specific McCarthy woman. Um, but yeah, that's. I think I, I think I've got it. You know, I would need to obviously go through the rigorous training uh, to get me in tip-top form and shape, and uh, and mm. uh, you know, learn probably some martial arts. But uh, you know, I've got a street fighting background. You know. Um, after some <laughs> some famous 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 victories uh, in the quad and up at the oh. St Anne's Hill, so um, you know I, I've got that in my locker anyway, and um, yeah, you know uh, it just needs some fine tuning, and then I would be good to go. I think uh, I've shot I've shot a few guns in my time as well. I'm quite a marksman as well, so you know I, I don't think uh, that would be a problem. Fair enough. It seems you know, like you've got the skill set down. The dream is not yet dead. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't. Uh, I would probably just need to learn like a wee second language or something, and then I think, uh, you know, I think that would be me good to go. That would be my employability, like through the roof. Mm. You know, he's got a street fighting background, podcasting background. Uh, <laughs> yeah, vital to the spy. Vi- it's it's the absolutely. The podcast. It, it, is, mate. it absolutely is. That's what they want. People who can talk shite. <laughs> listen, the guys went into the recruitment office and like, listen, I've listened to this episode the first time for owns. I'm telling this you, this is, is the guy. guy we need. <laughs> this is the fucking guy. Mate, he's got Maisie Williams introducing him, right? That's, that's the guy. I'm telling right, exactly. You. And, and would we have had Maisie Williams if I didn't actually, you know, uh, ambush her? <laughs> well, ambush her, tackle her to the ground and, and force her to do the same thing. I think that's a story we should go into because obviously for people that haven't heard it or don't know, with First Time Thrones, Maisie Williams was the, the voice that introduced that show uh, basically throughout its run. It was it was marvellous, uh, but there is an interesting story attached to how we managed to get her to do that. Yeah, so the story was I was uh, undercover as a bartender because I don't actually do that. I'm a spy, you see. Um, and I was undercover as a bartender for this one day and Maisie Williams comes out of my work and I was absolutely fucking baffled. I was like, this hasn't just happened to me. Like, I'm obviously a big Game of Thrones fan um, and, mm-hmm. and she's she's at the point, um, at that point, I think, I don't know if it was going into season eight or season seven, mm-hmm. um, but she was, you know, 
a big character in this, big part to play. Um, and she was doing a talk. She was launching a new app, um, which is called Daisy App, for anyone who's interested. It's kind of given a platform for creators and editors and people in music and film and art industry um, and trying to give them a platform. Anyway, it's quite good. Um, Anyway, she's, she's at, thank you. Um, she's at my university at the time. Uh, I was living up in Stirling, and she's out there, you know, launching this app all across the UK. And she comes into my work, which is just the hotel that's um, on the campus of the university. So she was obviously staying there, or, you know, somewhere that was quite close. Didn't have to travel very far, um, mm. and it was handy for me because I'm undercover, obviously, at the bar. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going over there. Pretending like I don't even know who she is. She's just sitting there with somebody who's like a kind of uh, liaison, somebody who's like just trying to get her to settle in. And yeah. she's with one of her pals. Um, and they're just sitting in, obviously, for the dinner. And I come up, as I said, pretending like I don't have a clue who she is. You know, can I take your order? Hi. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> the usual waiter push. And then she's like, oh, have you got any recommendations or something? And one of the, per- one of the it was actually a pal that asked if you got any recommendations. I was like, yeah, this, this, you named a couple of things. Yeah. And then she went, I'm going to say not this. <laughs> well, yeah. well, exactly. So this, this is what happens. So <laughs> Maisie always goes, I'm going to go for the, and I can't even remember what it is now. I think it was like, was it a, a seafood pasta or a pro- something like yeah. that? It was like a seafood uh Marinara, so I can't remember what it was, right? Yeah. And I, and I went, oh. <laughs> I went, oh. <laughs> I went, Maisie, I don't know if that's what you want to go for. I don't know what your, you know, your usual appetite is or anything like that, but I'm sure you're used to fine dining, um, mm. given your, your status. And I said, this is not what you want to go for, basically. <laughs> and she went, I appreciate your honesty. It's quite refreshing to actually hear somebody say, no, don't go for this. <laughs> so nice. I learned brownie points. I learned massive brownie points. I hadn't actually named her. I hadn't actually went nazy. So I was still under the impression. She was still under the impression I didn't have a clue who she was. Yeah. Um, anyway, got them drinks, got a dinner. So everything was fine. Uh, you know, I was obviously giving them the top-notch service that they deserved. Um, like like I would any other person, of course. But mm. you know, this is Maisie Williams sitting here, and I'm going right. She's getting it. She's getting all my partner. She's getting it all. Mm. So she was getting, you know, it was it was a good time. I, I'm I'm sure she had a pleasant experience at the Stirling Court Hotel. And then right <laughs> at the very end, before she was about to leave, I was like, Maisie, can I get a photo? <laughs> can we get a photo, please? <laughs> Anyway, so it was class, right? We got a photo, everything was sound. And then the next day, I was like, here, that has went so well. Like, she was chatting away to us, her and her pal. Like, I heavy fancy her pal as well. I was like, right, this has went, this has went fucking, this has went class. Swimmingly. Uh, yeah, swimmingly. <laughs> I'd got, I'd followed them on Instagram. They'd followed me back. Well, Maisie didn't, but uh, oh. our pal did. So I was caught. She big timed you, mate. She big timed you. Well, she didn't, I didn't follow Maisie at the time. And I, and I didn't right. want to now follow her. For her to not follow me back, so I didn't follow her. I followed the pal, knowing that she's a lot less big time. Yeah, yeah. in fact, she's a nobody. So she's just another. She's just, she's just Maisie Williams' pal, as far she's as I'm commoner, concerned. So absolutely commoner, commoner, like me. Um, she did, in fact, work for the app, so she was kind of up and coming. Anyway, I got her Instagram. That I was messaging her on Instagram, kind of prior to that. Um, it, sorry, uh, before that, and then uh, sorry after that. Fuck's sake. Can I get my, my tenses right? An absolute tenet here, you know, all at once. <laughs> I, it was kind of there before, here and everywhere, it was, you know. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to actually go to the talk tomorrow and I'm going to see if I can, like, 
I don't know, just talk to her again and see if this can uh, and further enhance my uh, my relationship. My relationship, yeah, with yeah. both of them. To be honest, <laughs> so I did. I went and I went um, under disguise, obviously, um, and uh, and then as they were leaving, I was like. Uh, this time I didn't actually shout at her because, well, that was purely for com- comedic effect. That I yeah, that. There was no of shouting. Course, there was no shouting, <laughs> screaming or, or huckling or ambushing or anything like that. I just kind of, I kind of just left at the same time as her pal was leaving. I did uh, kind of creepily stalk her pal a wee bit as she was leaving the, the theatre. Um, and I got behind her and I was like, uh, Hello. Dominique, hello. <laughs> and she was like, oh, it's you. So then it was like, yes, it's you. And then she tapped Maisie in the shoulder and Maisie turned around and was like, oh, hello. And then hugged me. And I was like, wow, I've just hugged Maisie Williams. That's <laughs> uh, and then I was like, here, fancy doing this soundbite. So I walked them all the way back up to my work because that's where they were leaving from. So I was right. like, yeah, I'm about to start my shift. Um, uh, even though I absolutely wasn't. Um Walked up to the work and was just chatting away to them while they were waiting mm. on the taxi, and it was class because I just got like a pure grounded conversation with them. And she was just asking like what I was studying and what I was doing, and like body mm. and you know, it was the same like kind of conversation I would have with with you right now. You know, it was really, really, it was really, really grounded. I loved it. Um, and then I was, just, I think we were just starting the podcast. I had just done one episode of the mm-hmm. first time Thrones or something like that, and yeah. I was like, Maisie gonna just do this for me because it would absolutely <laughs> fucking yeah it would make my day it would make my podcast <laughs> it would seriously elevate the listeners <laughs> if you could um yeah sound bite for us so then we got it and then if you don't if you've not already heard it go hear it it's actually amazing Williams. we didn't just get like somebody who sounds like amazing Williams to say that it's yeah. actually amazing Williams. it's um yeah well, it I'll, well i'll do i'll try and put it in now, right. So you would have heard it. So I think I think the class. Sound bite. So now that you've heard it, <laughs> class in it. It's a good sound bite, isn't it? Uh, and uh, any Game of Thrones fans that are now listening that haven't already checked the back catalogue, fucking first time Thrones is there, and Maisie Williams is on it. You've just heard it. <laughs> that is a good show, man. I, I miss I miss doing the Thrones episodes. I couldn't. I think I said this to Gavin, my flatmate, recently. I don't think I could go back and watch Game of Thrones maybe for another year or so still, though. Have you yeah, found that? Yeah, I need a bit of a gap from it. Like, I uh, was so into it that I used to kind of watch episodes twice <clears throat> at a yeah. time. Like, I used to kind of, I don't know, would watch seasons almost like twice before the next season came out. So, yeah. you know, I already feel like I've watched it twice. Yeah. Uh, and it's still quite fresh in my brain. But it's such a long, long, long slug to watch all the way through it. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll need to take a break from that. I was also, well, as you would find out from our, our podcast, quite uh, you know disappointed with the last season. So yeah. I feel like I know how it's going to end. I know I'm not going to be like absolutely going thrilled, away, yeah. thrilled with it. So mm. let's just, uh, yeah, take a break. Let it mull over for a while, and then yeah, maybe. come back to it maybe when it's when it's a bit less fresh. Maybe go I back. I know Mary and Sean. Mary and Sean have already rewatched it. I know Sweeney's already rewatched it. Wow. Um, so it's just yeah. us that are back. Uh, it's, it's just, just us, mate. <laughs> it's just us. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Uh, so you actually mentioned before we got into Maisie Williams about you being a, a street fighter and street fighter experience. So did you get any 
lots of fights when you were young and why was that were you the cause of these of these fights or could you just could find, get... find yourself in these situations I couldn't get any lots of fights that's a bit of an exaggeration <laughs> uh, I don't know just got in some fights in school that was just the thing I was a wee bit of an angry guy yes but you know sometimes sometimes people merited a beating and that was uh, <laughs> and that is what they fucking got <laughs> um <laughs> That, I'm not going to name any names. Obviously, I was nearly, I nearly actually said some names. Um, nah, just like you know, kids kind of roughhousing turning into an actual rough fight. Housing. You know, a wee bit <laughs> of roughhousing, roughhousing that turns into like an actual fight because mm-hmm. you know it, it gets taken a wee bit too far, and that's it. That mm-hmm. is effectively what it is. I, I'm kidding on when I say street fighter. You know um, <laughs> I know. I just feel we need more clarification on that for the for the listeners at home are thinking, God, was this guy a fucking scrapper? <laughs> Unlicensed <laughs> boxing, uh, bare knuckle boxing in my garden. Must go on Trinity High, man, absolutely <laughs> fucking throwing bunches left, right and centre. <laughs> <laughs> um so obviously we've talked about like what to be when you're how is your like taste changed since then right because you're into like pure we discussed this you like realistic films and stuff like that but you also like an element of fantasy but there's very specific rules you need to have yeah. for liking fantasy now does that stem from the stuff that you watched when you were younger back then or has that changed as it sort of went on through the years uh yeah i think it's pretty much the same i think mm-hmm. when i was when i was younger obviously i probably looked at it a lot less when i was younger than mm-hmm. um I think the main thing, one of the one of the movies I remember watching and going, no, nah, like that just wouldn't happen. Physics needs to be a part to play here as Transformers, because like right. I loved, I loved Transformers, <laughs> right? Transformers was a great concept to me. Like I loved the the cartoon when mm-hmm. I was younger, uh, and then obviously there was the what's actually the name of the director again? Michael what? What's Michael Bay. Michael Bay, uh, and I and I liked the first Transformers, and I would go as far to say I liked the second one. It just started to get a bit too far fetched, and I remember watching. It must have been the fourth one or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, we've seen we seen think, the fourth one yeah, together. It's Optimus uh, Prime like swinging something from like a chain, or for, yes. I can't even remember what the exact scene is. But I remember just right. watching it, going like that. I'm sorry, but that's just defying physics. I know that obviously cars don't turn into robots, <laughs> but like, if you're going to make a film where that is a thing, like, mm. at least make the physics real because you're still on Earth. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not you can't just say right now all of a sudden we're on a different planet and mm-hmm. like gravity isn't a thing. Like, do you know I, I, that's what annoys me about things like that? Yeah, because when you look at fantasy things like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings like it's all in the same world mm-hmm. where it's a fantasy world mm-hmm. do you know yeah. what I mean I so you. you you the writer or, and you the audience uh, have a relationship here where you're just given you're just being shown what is real in this mm-hmm. world so you can't yeah. question the reality of it whereas if you're making a film or making a um, or writing a film or screenplay where it takes place on Earth, but you know there's some sort of magic or some sort of you know a, a, some sort of fantasy involved in it. Mm-hmm. You need to, you need to. It needs to be a fantasy within the realms of which you've created it. So if you're yeah. making it on Earth, for me, you have to have it as real as possible. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And then explain it, it, it really well. Yeah, and it's the same like when it comes to like superhero films and stuff as well. Like there, there's there's only so much you can do there's only so much you can explain mm-hmm. uh with 
with superhero powers and, and things like that. But if you can make it like these powers exist in our real world, then you're you're doing it right. And by me, do you yeah. know what I mean? Because uh, I think, I, I mean, Marvel does it all right. Um, there's mm-hmm. no real issues with it. That there's no issues that I have with with Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, uh, it's just it's just take it's when you take it too far. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's only so much you can do, as I said. Uh, and when you start to defy physics and stuff without yeah. giving without giving a valid explanation, mm-hmm. you know, that's what's and even your and even your own rules, like because one of the ones I point to is Suicide Squad. Like you've got a team that's led by Harley Quinn, like taking on like some extraterrestrial like being. You know what I mean? Who's been alive for thousands of years and is pure overpowered. And I'm like, Harley Quinn has a baseball bat. You yeah, know what I mean, like you can't yeah. be telling me that she would win here. You know what I mean? Absolutely, right, exactly. Uh, it's um, that, that's what I mean. See, when when you're going to make a film of it, then there needs to be a better explanation. Whereas, like comics and that, don't even need the explanation because there usually is an explanation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's a comic world. You know, mm. when you're making it on Earth with with powers and stuff, you need there needs to be for me there needs to be like ground rules. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a there was another example I was going to say there just before you said Suicide Squad, and I can't remember what it is now. Yeah. Uh, 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 what is it? Well, shit. That's gone. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. <laughs> Let's not just sit in silence while I try. Yeah. I was like, this is not good podcast and it's not good radio here. <laughs> <laughs> mm, well, well, anyway, it's later. <laughs> So moving on, come back to me. moving on from that, football's obviously been a, a big part of your life and we're talking about how it's actually, it's taken places and guided you towards places that you are today. But what's your earliest memory of football? Like, is there anything you remember, not even just playing it, just like from experiencing or watching it for the first time or anything like that? Uh, I, I would, my, my earliest memory would probably be playing to be honest I think yeah. I, I was I actually played because I was a wee, wee bit of a late bloomer is what I've always said because mm-hmm. I wasn't somebody even though I've you know played football at different levels and, and had always kind of aspired to go pro and stuff when I was younger mm-hmm. um, um, I didn't really start playing properly until I was about 8 or something maybe I don't think I joined mm-hmm. I joined my boyhood club boyhood club boys club <laughs> Um, yep. when I was like eight I think uh, yeah. and, I, and I probably only kicked a ball maybe like you know a few months before that as well right? Uh, and that was just at the, like, the kind of local wee park um, mm-hmm. play with Declan so my next door neighbour so that, I think that would be my earliest memories would be like just being shit and I remember actually <laughs> one, I remember being more of a keeper actually as well um, yeah I think that was again because I really didn't like well, the only people that I would kick a ball about with was my was like local um, friends, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. my next door neighbour and that, as I said, and probably you. But um, I don't know. I always enjoyed being in goals at that time, mm-hmm. uh, and I, again, I don't know. I didn't really have a an aspiration at the time when I was playing. But then it wasn't until I joined Parkmoor um, and kind of just developed over mm-hmm. over that number of years. I think from about 8 to 12 or 8 to 13 so mm. that sort of transition from going 7 asides to 11 asides um, I obviously just put in hard work and mm-hmm. got a lot fitter took a stretch you know was got, got quicker got you know faster and fitter so you know physical attributes helped there um, yeah. and then 
you know, just playing day in, day out. Because we, we used to play, obviously, like every single day after school, we would just go up to um, yeah. up to the tee pitch right. and uh, and kick a ball about, whether it was sidey or cuppy or, or anything like that. So it gave me the the platform to, to, to just kind of work on skills that I wasn't particularly good at at the time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, do, you, do you remember making that active sort of conscious decision though to get better at it? Because I know nah, you, like, really. you're, when you're motivated at something, like you, you go for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, or was it just a sort of, like you say, was it a sort of natural thing that you progressed in your ability yeah, at that point? It was absolutely just a natural thing. Like I think, um, I, I think genetics probably has some part to play only because mm-hmm. I, from a science background, I know how much, because I, I think if I had, been, I mean, forced is a bit of a strong word, but if I had been, yeah. you know, sort of told that I was going to kick a ball about from a young age, then I might have developed a lot quicker um, mm-hmm. and might have even been better, you know, in, in my sort of teens. I don't know. There's, there's no, there's no um, definitive answer to that, but mm-hmm. I think the fact that I was a late bloomer actually made me stand out a bit better because I went from being rather pished to being rather good in that yeah. space of time with the same with the same club do you know yeah. what I mean mm-hmm. so even the, co- the coaches there were obviously like oh there's a bit of a player in him now all of a sudden like you know yeah. and, and I think that was what um, helped me progress because I was getting that kind of confidence boost off, off of the coaches going like oh he's you know I got I remember the first award I won was most improved so then it was like kicked on from mm-hmm. there I went from most improved to player of the tournament to you know uh Players, player of the year, player of the year. Do you know what I mean? And then just yeah. that that kind of confidence was um, just continuously growing in me. And then uh, then I was playing for the the West Region, got a couple of trials with them and stuff. So then again, mm. that was a, a that was me kind of taking steps in the right direction. I went, you know, because it's funny how like there are people who are so into football but maybe aren't the best at playing it. Like you know, yeah. I, I feel like. I, not that I'm the best at playing it, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, an opposite. Like, you know, I, I love football and I love watching it. I, I'm a big Celtic fan and uh, I used to really like Arsenal and stuff as well. So, you know, I've co- I've, I've kept up to date with the game, but I see mm-hmm. as far as like football trivia goes or like um, yeah. knowing like who history. played with who. Yeah, the history of things and who, who played with who and who scored this goal and that, like, my memory doesn't really serve me that well for, for those types of things. Whereas mm. in terms of actually understanding the game for what it is, you know, positionally, um, how to read the game well, um, you know, identifying talent, which is a new thing for me as well. Like, I've just recently started scouting, um, yeah. which which today I've just found out I'm successful again for another. So I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from two two scouting jobs well, con- now. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, but I just heard <laughs> back today that I'm getting off a, a position with another company. So I'm, I've now got this option where I need to choose, uh, which mm. is quite which is quite good. Um, but scouting is a new thing to me, but something that I know that I'll be quite good at, you know, something that I'm looking forward to, to looking at identifying talent and I know what to look for. Um, mm. to identify a good player and then you know the, the best thing I can the best thing that can come out of this for me is that you know I can help a young player land a contract with a professional club or land a you know maybe go out to America like like I done uh, to go play so yeah. it's just um, that, that's something that is new to me but something that I'm kind of looking forward to relishing the challenge on and uh, mm. and uh, yeah hopefully it goes well and we've talked we've 
brought it up there. Obviously, like you progressed at football to the to the level where you were able to get a scholarship uh, to go over and uh, you pursue opportunities in America, study over there with that. Uh, obviously, you went to Texas to Fort Worth. What was that time of your life like, and what's sort of the highlights of that experience? Oh, that was that was absolutely class. So the the kind of reasoning for going out there was was you know, as I was saying there about being a late bloomer and stuff, you know, developing mm-hmm. quickly. I did have these aspirations to maybe go pro, but when I was unfortunate, mm-hmm. you know, I was unfortunate not to get picked up uh, mm-hmm. by any club or anything at the time. I, you know. I maybe had a lot going on at that time when the scouts, when it was kind of time, the clock was ticking. Well, you know, scouts mm-hmm. were obviously at the games and were looking for players and that. And I, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I just didn't have as great a game when people were watching because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time you wouldn't even know they were watching. So it's mm-hmm. hard to tell. But when you know my time was kind of up to make it pro or, or to get a, a youth contract, um, mm-hmm. that's when I started looking into scholarships in America or, or in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I wanted to go to university because I had got the grades that I wanted and yeah. you know, was looking to kick on from there. Um, and when this sort of opportunity came about, with and in fact it was a scout, you know, like like myself, uh, for like one of these companies that that tries to get people to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, land a contract either in America or land a scholarship in America or land a contract with a pro club, mm-hmm. um, you know, so. When when I got this opportunity, it was like I just grabbed it with both hands and thought, you know, if if I can still play football at a, a good level and have an opportunity to go professional or get well, not even go professional, but just to get played, yeah, uh, get paid, sorry, to get to play, and um, that was kind of the the goal there. Um, mm-hmm. But then you know my fallback was always going to be well, I'll still come away with a degree, you know. So that was yeah. the, that was the sort of reasoning behind that and. Yeah, like you said, mate. Like it was just a, a an an amazing experience. Um, it's I have a lot of people to thank for like the experience. Not mm-hmm. like you know, it, your experience is sort of molded by the people around you. I think and and how mm-hmm. how you react in there because it's very easy for a lot of young players, uh, not just young players but just young people. Uh, teenagers and that who go out I went out when I was mm-hmm. 17 uh, and just lived away you know hadn't seen the place before didn't know where I was going to be living had never been to Texas had never even been to America at the time mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was just a completely new world and I, and I just had to you know fend for myself become independent there and then and grow up quickly um, mm-hmm. but again I wasn't it wasn't ever scary for me like at that time I, I remember just being like I'm ready to do this I'm ready to give it my, my all and, and see mm-hmm. what happens. Um, but as I said, yeah, I think you're sort of moulded by the people around you and, and it just makes it so much easier when you've got like a good support network to go into. Mm-hmm. It, as I said, it can be really difficult and a lot of people just come home. Um, I was lucky that, you know, the friends that I made when I was out there mm-hmm. um, and even prior to going out there, there was a boy, Ross, um, who mm-hmm. was, had went through the exact same process as me, um, had played at boys club, uh, I played with school, like me and then uh, was unfortunate not to get a pro contract and then thought this, mm-hmm. this could be the real deal let's go out to America and, and play mm-hmm. uh, so he was just for Bishop Briggs and we managed, we had the pleasure of meeting each other before we were even out there both the same age both had very very similar stories mm-hmm. um, and I mean that was great just to have an immediate 
pal, like an immediate best pal. Yeah, <laughs> to sorted. go out the way and just uh, and you know if we didn't get if we hadn't got on um, before that, I know that you know we would have got on once we got there. Um, yeah, but you know we did we we got on like house and fire before we even went out there, and then once we were out there, it was you know as I said, it was a very easy um, friendship to develop. Mm-hmm. And then on yep. top of that. Um, there was more senior players that um, there was only other one one other boy from the UK, um, Alex. So you know, I, I always kind of thank both Ross and Alex for my time out there because, like, they just immediately were just a comforting network for me. Yeah. And along with a lot of other players that were there, um, you know, just lucky to to have had such a good support network, as I said, and uh, also just to meet like such a diverse array of people you know so many people for different cultures I would, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the league that I was playing in um, was the NAIA which is like a kind of more international mm-hmm. you know a more internationally recruited league so yeah. you know there was I was playing with boys that, although there was loads from from America uh, there was boys from Senegal uh, Uganda um, like Morocco all that jazz you know loads of African countries that you know people who I've never came in contact with before in my life you know Mm -hmm. the way you know the way that we can we just can both adapt to each other Mm -hmm. and it it just was amazing to to have that you know um, to experience each other's cultures as I said or not even experience each other's cultures that's the funniest thing about it is like we're all from different cultures and we're all placed into the one culture if that makes sense we're all yeah. in America so we all have to adapt to the same sort of uh, lifestyle mm-hmm. so that that's the most interesting thing about it is that, you know you, you keep a lot of your own uh, your own habits and your own way of speaking and thinking but mm-hmm. you know ultimately this squad of like 25 people are all sort of thrown into the one bucket and said right you know get along <laughs> you know what I mean yeah uh, and uh, uh, as I said I'm lucky to say that I didn't get I didn't have any issues with anyone on my team um, you know I wasn't didn't have any rows with anyone or anything like that um, mm-hmm. and there was nobody I didn't get on with so it, it just it was such a great experience and um, as I said I think it's more to do with the independence that you get from being out there the, yeah. the element of the element of freedom you know I wasn't allowed to legally drink there but you know there were certainly ways around that (laughs) but Uh, you were but you were drinking so (laughs) but yeah absolutely ways around it um and yeah i I, you know i wouldn't i I wouldn't give any of that experience back Mm -hmm. for anything you know it was absolutely class yeah Um, my only my only really regret is you know not getting my degree out at the end of it Um, Mm and you know there was more of a personal issue behind that and and money reasons and stuff that that made me come back but uh, yeah you know that my biggest regret is coming back but i knew that you know at the time it was probably the best decision um to make so yeah Mm -hmm. would you say because i remember you coming back and then obviously you went to sterling after that was it hard to adapt from being in Texas for the best part of two years, all of a sudden coming back like into Scotland, was that a hard transition to make? Yeah, it was a wee bit hard. It was more. It was more just because I was missing the lifestyle that I had out there. You know, mm-hmm. I um, I had went from being 
I don't know. I don't know how to explain it without sounding mm-hmm. like a pure dick. But yeah, like, I don't know. When I was in America, like I was so interesting to people, you know. Yeah. Like me, Ross, and Alex as a wee trio, you know, mm-hmm. two boys from Glasgow and a boy from Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a sad way, nobody really cared about the people who were from Senegal and all that. You know what I mean? Like, they yeah. Quite as appealing, whereas these British boys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, are Scottish boys, and you know, we. Um, we got a lot of attention off of people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, male and female, for different reasons, obviously. But yeah. uh, there was just like, you know, this sort of aura around you because of the way we conducted ourselves and the way that we spoke, the way, mm-hmm. you know, even all the teachers and that, like, loved, like, just loved hearing their accents and loved hearing us speak and what the experiences that we had and what, you know, Scotland was like and what mm-hmm. England was like from Alex's point of view. So, you know, coming back to Scotland again and just becoming another normal person <laughs> was yeah. was probably the biggest transition. And as I said, that you know, that's maybe my personality is having quite a big personality and sort of relishing the chance to be someone and be mm-hmm. almost famous, if that makes sense. You know, ah, uh, next week quote there from the movie. Uh, I'll go and check that episode. Out. <laughs> that, that you know, that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like you know. Along with being a student athlete, which is already in high regard, you know, anyone at a, a college who's a student athlete mm. always kind of carries themselves with a wee bit more of a presence because if you're not a student athlete, then you're you're not part of a big group. That's why a lot of people go to fraternities and sororities and stuff. That's why yeah. that's why they kind of things exist. Mm. Um, but as I said, when you're in a sports team and a student athlete, you're already part of a, a group. You know, you're already part of a sort of uh, uh, fraternity or a sorority. Yeah, and sure I think, sorted. as I said, yeah, I think the people, and especially in America, like it's not as much a big thing here. Obviously, in America, like these people are looked up to, um, and the, that obviously partnered with the fact that we had accents. It was like, yeah, yeah, we we are, you know, as celebrities go, and we are as, as much as celebrities can get in, in a Texas Wesleyan <laughs> environment. So, okay, you know, well, apart from uh, that Undertaker, was, apart from the apart from Mark, Mark Cowley, is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> apart from the Undertaker, who is our most notable alum. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, yeah, that was the biggest transition, was coming back and then just having to be, you know, be me again uh, and not be who I was trying to be in America, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting you say that. Like, is that how you define it? Was you were sort of playing someone else in America and this was like coming back to an authentic you? Or do you just think it's like you adapt to different environments? I think it was just me. I, I, well, it was an element of both. I think I was adapting to the environment that I was placed in. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of the, inten- the attention that we were getting, mm-hmm. you know, I had put it, I had sort of put it in my head that I was you know on a pedestal if that makes sense because yeah. I, because of the reaction I was getting of other people you know and yeah. the attention that I was getting that's what I'm saying I, I do absolutely sound like a dick here but when I was in America I didn't you know I didn't have any other uh, commitments you know I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to be someone mm-hmm. um, because I know how my family's going to react to anything like that. I was, you know mm-hmm. I, I could I could be anyone I wanted to be because I didn't have anything else to to uh, it's more freeing. Probably, yeah, it was, it was freeing, exactly. Yeah. And I was a, a young boy, you know, in fact, I was probably no different to any other teenager. The only fact was that I was getting this attention. Whereas if yeah. I was 17, 18, 19 in Scotland, I'd probably be acting the same, 
try to add mm. Gallus and, and act hard Aye. and all that kind of you know all the usual usual push. But like the fact that I was in America, like <laughs> it made it better because <laughs> people didn't want to mess with me if I was you know if I was in a night out and I was shouting abuse at them. <laughs> Nobody wanted to know about it. They would actually Aye. back down, and that made me feel better. I was like, I am fucking, I am class. You know what I mean? And that is, Aye. as I said, like I'm not. Uh, well, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it at the time, but like Aye. you know, I look back at it fondly. But I, you know, I know that that's not how I wanted to be. I didn't want to act. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't act like that now. And and and. But that's you know different when you're eighteen, nineteen compared to when you're like 23, 24. And that, you know what I mean? yeah, like, that's what I mean. I think, to be done. That's what I mean. I think it was just that was being young and gallus and being. Um, you know, somebody who was succeed what at my time it felt like I was really succeeding at life. You know, I had mm-hmm. I had kicked on and got this scholarship, which I was so proud of myself for, and you know, I was playing at a really decent level. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, that's what I mean. I, I think I was just happy with myself and happy that I had this freedom to be who I wanted to be. So mm. I was going to be gallus. I was going to be, um, you know, just enjoying the attention I was getting. Really, that's yeah. how I'd put it. Um, and then coming back to Sterling, it wasn't a bad, you know, it's not, it didn't, it didn't make me feel any less uh, mm-hmm. myself or anything like that. But yeah, you're probably right when I say that it made me feel a bit more authentic. I was back to being right. I need to kind of screw the nut a wee bit. I need to, mm-hmm. it sort of tamed me a wee bit. Um, and, and if anything, it kind of limited me, actually, I thought, um, mm-hmm. in a negative way, I think I went into myself I kind of went uh, from being someone who was pure out their shell in America I kind of uh, I kind of retracted a bit when mm-hmm. I came back it tamed me because I was now more cautious of how people perceive me um, right. having having not cared like, uh, anything about it when I was in America I think I just mm-hmm. went so gung-ho that when I came back I was like oh shit maybe I should actually watch how I speak to people and how I how I come mm-hmm. across and mm-hmm. you know things like that. So I think that was, um, you know, I think that was kind of damaging in my personality a wee bit when I came back. That um, sort of self doubt creeping in. It was, it thing. was, it was yeah. absolute doubt and anxiety towards like you know how people were perceiving me and mm-hmm. you know also I didn't want people to think you know it was like there was a combination of things. Didn't want people to think that I you know had chucked it in America because I didn't like it or. Uh, or chucked it because I couldn't make it as a footballer or you know uh, you know there's a number of reasons and a number of things where I was like uh, mm-hmm. worried about how people perceived my future you know and mm-hmm. and wondered about why I came back and all that kind of stuff so that was probably where, that was an um, that was probably another reason why the self-doubt was there and it was like you know I used it as a kick-on again to be like right well I might not have succeeded the way I wanted to, to uh, when I was in in the states Mm-hmm. But I've came back, you know, I've managed to get into a good development programme with Sterling, who mm-hmm. um, was still a good football inside at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I say that at the time as if I'm not the now, but, you know. The, <laughs> yes, the, yeah, it's, it's, as good, it's as good as you can play at um, in terms of Scottish uh, university football. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was another reason why I, I was attracted to them. Uh, mm-hmm. that paired with the fact that they're a really good sports university so obviously with my degree being sports science I was like right well it's a no-brainer that Sterling would be a good fit for me um, mm-hmm. and then when I got offered a position in the team um, mm-hmm. I was like right well this is where I'm going so I wanted yeah. to kick on from there and again you know 
slowly but surely the, you know as year, years went by I was like right well my chances of making it pro has obviously kind of dwindled out but as long as I can still play at a high level and challenge myself then you know I'm not mm-hmm. doing myself any any wrong so yeah um, mm-hmm. and that's that was, better as well it's a more personal it's more for you personal enjoyment rather than as like the pressure of oh I want to get noticed here you know what I mean I want to get the scout and it's hinging on that if that makes sense it will make it a probably happy experience for you playing in that mindset exactly yeah exactly mm. you know I, I played at different levels um, and when I was at Sterling because of the, the they have a, a long list of different teams so mm. um, you know I'm happy to say that I never played anything less than the threes um, which is their like their highest amateur side yeah um, so you know played played at uh, youth development which was like lowland league development so that was like um development teams for semi-professional teams basically mm-hmm. um, the only thing is it's not semi-professional for Sterling because they don't get paid um, yeah. <laughs> you know, their, their scholars get scholarship obviously so that's their sort of form of payment but they don't get paid oh. weekly or anything stupid yeah. like that. Um, but a lot of the teams in that league do mm-hmm. um, so played development for that so that was like an under 20s so it's kind of a back to being like a, a, a little fish again Yeah. Um, and then moved on to do amateurs then moved up to play junior level so um mm-hmm. You know, happy to have challenged myself at juniors. Um, I'm now back playing amateurs again, uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't think I wouldn't. I don't think I couldn't play juniors. Like I think I, I would be all right at juniors and probably deal with it. But I just know now after lockdown, my fitness and a number of things. I think, uh, like you said there, just a wee bit more relaxed playing at a level that I know I can compete at um, and actually excel at as well. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. juniors, I might be having to, you know, vie for a place and having to um, really, really push myself to be at the top of my game. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas at amateurs, you know, I can probably get away with not being, not being at my best, um, and mm-hmm. and still and still, you know, competing for a position or competing for as a team competing, you know. Yeah. No, so. I completely get you. No, well, I've realised as this has went on, we could probably fit like two or three episodes of chat with with you because there's a lot to, there's a lot I want to cover. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not going to get it today, but one thing I did want to talk about is your music uh, taste um, right. because it is quite an eclectic collection of uh, favourites you've got there. It's sort of a lot of genres that's covered. Are you able to define for me what your music taste is in like a sentence, or is that impossible? Ah, it's it's impossible in a sense. Um, <laughs> I'll give it a shot though. Um, right. So, I think I'll I really really like. Um, oh, that's yeah, it's too hard. <laughs> I don't know. Hard. <laughs> it really really ranges from uh, heavy metal to. <laughs> I don't know what the other side of the spectrum is. Maybe like crooners, <laughs> crooners music. <laughs> uh, so from so Iron Maiden to Frank Sinatra, exactly. Right, and everything you can possibly think of in between, apart from like chart music. I think the only music I can't really listen to and get on board with is mm-hmm. sort of now new wave chart pop music. And mm-hmm. uh, I would say probably sort of like the newest generation of like rap, like sort of mumble rap, and right. um, 
sort of pop rap, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what my example would be. Um, what's that? Like Qua- Quavo? Is it Quavo or something? I uh, think like so, me- yeah. I like Migos, right? So Migo- Migos, Migos, Migos is a band, right? Right. Uh, Migos is a same band. It's the rap group, right? Mm-hmm. So there's three of them. And then they all split. I think they all split up. I didn't actually mind Migos, some of the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're, now they're a three. They're all three solo artists, as I believe. Right. Anyway, Quavo is the fucking worst cunt. Uh, anything, anything, any music that just seems to have the same beat with somebody going, hey, oh, hey, yeah. oh, hey, oh, no, over, for the, over the back, <laughs> nah, can't fucking stand it, cannot stand it. And yeah. I like rap, I like, I like, um, I like old school stuff, I like Biggie, Tupac, mm-hmm. um, uh, NWA, love like that kind of style. Uh, even going to like a tribe called Quest, um, mm-hmm. Mos Def. Um, so I, I, you know, I like the kind of old school underground stuff. Uh, I like MF Doom, which is even more current underground stuff. So you know, mm-hmm. I, I do. I, if I'm looking at something like an, a rap or an R&B genre, I, I, mm-hmm. I like authentic lyrics that is a good flow, like is intelligent lyrics. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where I stand on that. But then, yeah, as I said, going back to it, like Iron Maiden is probably. Well, Iron Maiden and Metallica is as heavy as I would go because I can't really, I can't really get into like the Slipknot scream stuff, you know, like yeah. the screamo stuff. Um, I can tolerate some of it, but again, it just really depends on whether it was a rest- wrestling theme tune or not. Because otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> if it oh, wasn't a wrestling theme tune, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know it. And then it's if I don't know it, then it's not going to be something that I'll get on board with. But um, yeah. moving away from like the heavier stuff, like you transition into like Iron Maid, so you transition into uh, Thin Lizzy, um, mm-hmm. White Snake, uh, Thunder, uh, mm-hmm. ACDC, even to an extent. ACDC is probably a middle ground between that. Um, yeah. But then even Thin Lizzy as well, like Thin Lizzy, easily my favourite band. That's just growing up listening to it like on a on a repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, of yeah. all different, of all different shades of thing, Lizzie, because there's just there's such a they're such a, a multi-genre band as well. Um, I mm-hmm. think over the years they transitioned. They started off very, very like sort of folk rock uh, and mm-hmm. and sort of fantasy rock, even like psychedelic yeah. almost. Uh, transitioned into a more sort of grungy sound, like a, da- a kind of darker, heavier hard rock sound at the time mm-hmm. in the seventies. And then, then got sort of progressively more sort of metal, I would say. Um, but there's a wee, there's a wee element of uh, like almost jazz in it. Like it's, it's strange. Like there's, as I said, there's such an, uh, a strange uh, multi-genre band, uh, and that's why I like them. That's why I like. I could listen to three different Thin Lizzy songs, and they would be completely all, different. All completely yeah. different. You would never know it was the same. Well, you would know it was the same band purely because of Phil its voice, but mm-hmm. like the whole music behind it is is uh, completely different in the class. Um, I, I mentioned jazz there as well. Like I'm really, really big on jazz, so that's probably where I get like the the more crooner side of things to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's where you get that other side of the spectrum. Like growing up, my mum was sort of into Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, among others, you know, even just the Rat Pack in general was a big thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and and she got that passed down from my grandparents. So then, 
even time when I've spent my grandparents when I was younger, I remember like that just being the music that they would listen to. So mm-hmm. uh, I think your music taste is generally very led by your your family. And if your family isn't very musical, yeah. then you, you, that's when you often branch out and say, right, I'm doing I'm getting my own stuff and that's why I think a lot of young people a lot of the youngins these days I think that's why they are into um, like just the general pop music that's why they only listen to Capital and they only listen to like these Mm -hmm. either the chart music is because they're only fed like what they hear yeah and I I would say that's more the generation that's just below us. You know, I'd say like the, the 17, 18, 19 year olds now, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of them haven't made their mind up on what kind of music they're into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a very sweeping generalization, obviously. But, yeah, but... I, I just remember my dad was very, very musical and, and my mum mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, so I think that's where I get my influences from and, and just knowing that that's the kind of music I like. Um mm-hmm. In school, I was always wanting to be very different. So when everybody else was like listening to whatever, whatever was the kind of current music at the time, Jason Derulo mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and stuff like that, I was always, even though I wouldn't show it, I was always like a rocker. You know, I always yeah. loved hard rock, and you were very much the same. We would, we we didn't, we weren't moshers. We didn't like, <laughs> we didn't wear chains and. Uh, and yeah. like you know eyeliner or anything like that but like the music taste that we listened to would have probably um mm-hmm. you know given that impression yeah, uh, which is funny because I, I remember talking to many a goth back in the day about um about Finn <laughs> Lizzie and Metallica and all that because that was nice. the music I listened to but I would never have shown it you know I was I was still dressed like a wee bam wearing Mackenzie and yeah still uh still spiked my hair up uh at the back where it's like slicked down at the front <laughs> yeah definitely so but that's so, uh, the difference. I think there's a lot of people who sort of model their entire image and personality off of their music taste, which I've, mm-hmm. I've never understood. Because, like you said, like I'm probably the same as you. Mine's is quite eclectic. I wouldn't know what to wear. You know what I mean? I'd be well, like, well be so nowadays, nowadays you're the absolute opposite. All you do is wear band t shirts that you like. <laughs> <laughs> so you've literally just turned it the, the least self aware I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't ever feel it. <laughs> You've got a different band. I'm so happy you pointed that out. <laughs> Foo Fighters. Uh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Foo Fighters, Nixon Buckingham. Uh, yeah. Fucking, I don't oh. even know. The, you've got a Fleetwood Mac one, obviously. I've got a Janice Joplin Prince, one now. Janice so. Joplin. <laughs> That's metal. Yeah. Uh, last thing before we finish, obviously, uh, we had the forefathers of this podcast group. Um, I just wanted to talk a bit about what you thought uh, when I, I remember distinct, I would have phoned you because I hate texting as you know uh, I phoned you and I said thinking about starting a film podcast do you want to do it what were your thoughts then and how has it changed as it sort of all went along and we're still doing it sort of two years later uh, uh, my thoughts then was just yeah let's do it um, mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, I'm a very like proactive person. Like I like mm-hmm. to do things a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, I, I remember when you phoned me, it was just kind of like, do you want to say? Because you obviously gave me a full on description and like rundown that it wasn't like yeah. you know, start a film podcast. Because I was obviously, if you had just said that, I'd been like, 
trust me, I know fuck all about films, really. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, I've seen films, but like, I don't know anything. Like, I wouldn't know what to say or how to, you know, whatever. But you were like, yeah, just, you know, we just watch the film. Uh, yeah. You know, somebody who hasn't seen it, and then we just go from there, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it seems like a good idea. Like, I, I like chatting pish. Um, Mm-hmm. and I like watching films so like why not and it would I think for me it was like well it will give me a chance to see loads of things that I've not seen before mm-hmm. um, and I don't know I think I, I seen it at the time as a way of helping you because obviously it's something that you mm-hmm. study mm-hmm. Um, and something that you are looking to get into going forward so I was like well if you can get experience podcasting editing all that mm-hmm. and I can be there to you know, facilitate it um, yeah. just, with, just with my voice and my presence, then brilliant. So that that was my thinking behind it. You know, um, it's kind of like doing you a favour, but also I'm still mm-hmm. getting still getting stuff out of it. Like, um, yeah. you know, and and I think that still remains. <laughs> you know, there's not <laughs> my my uh, my, my um, thoughts on the whole thing hasn't changed at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I think I'm I'm very proud at how how much it's progressed over the mm-hmm. the year and a half or whatever it's been. Yeah, um, year, two years. It'll be two yeah, years now. Like two years, yeah. Actually, yeah. I was about to say. Um, so yeah, just like just really happy with how it's how it's went on, and you know I've never been one for you know checking the numbers of listens and stuff like that, but like yeah. I just I, like not to quote what I said at the very start, but like I am just here to. You know, have a good time and yeah, enjoy make, it. Make people happy or make people laugh. <laughs> whatever it was I said, I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, but exactly. That, um, that you know that that still remains, and that will always be my my kind of reasons for doing it. Um, mm. I I like coming on and having deep discussions as much as the next person. Mm. But you know, if anybody finds uh, enjoyment out of listening, or finds comfort, or finds mm. uh, interest, or anything like that, that um, that, that that people in the audience can get out of it, then you know I'm more than happy for that to be their platform to to listen to. Mm. Um, and as I said, like I I've start I started you know what I started it with you because I knew that it was something that you were interested in. So yeah, it was um, as I said, not I mean doing doing you a favor is kind of the wrong wording, but I I was doing it because I was like, well this this could you know. Uh, help your sort of career going yeah. forward in a way mm-hmm. um, and I think I have progressed throughout it like you know mm-hmm. the, the way I look at films has definitely changed like mm-hmm. because I know I'm going to come on and podcast them I, I, I definitely pay more attention to things like cinema photography and yeah <laughs> and uh, and soundtracks and things like that so like and mm-hmm. um, things that I probably wouldn't have really cared too much about before mm-hmm. yeah. but but I now find very interesting. You know, it's not that I, it's not that I didn't like them or didn't find it interesting. It's now just like I, I more awareness. Yeah, complete, completely more aware about how film is made and the writing that goes into it and stuff as well. Um, and that's just been from being you know around you as well. The way the way that you talk about them and the way that you talk about the writing and the mm-hmm. the, the the timing, the spacing and mm-hmm. pacing, spacing and pacing. The spacing um, and pacing. You know what I mean? So uh, there's just different terms that I would never have known as well. And now that when I look into a film, I go like, I like it. I, I like that because of 
the mm-hmm. pacing or I like that because of uh, the character development or the dialogue or mm-hmm. um, you know things whatever's going on yeah, yeah and, and they've been able to identify like cult movies now as well like I actually do have a poster obviously that's just got a fucking big list of cult movies so there's there's my first giveaway but I can now watch a film and go at, like I completely see why this is a cult film. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I can absolutely tell why. Like for mm-hmm. for the for example, the Big Lebowski was one for me that uh, yeah, recently watching, watching fairly recently and going, this is the most cult film I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? And and then I I would never when I first watched Pulp Fiction, I would never have really thought that. But now you know, knowing what I know now, like, mm-hmm. you know, going back and watching Pulp Fiction, I'm like, right, yeah, there's so much cult elements to it and mm-hmm. I, su- I suppose that's kind of the same for all Tarantino films really though. Yeah. You know, he has such a cult style or just a style, you know, that yeah. people, um, it's funny because um, I-, I wonder if you think that Nolan films are cult films. Um, it's hard because I think his are two, for me, a cult film is one that doesn't make over a certain amount like the financial success and mainstream success of it plays a factor right. to me. Right, so with, right, okay. with Nolan, I think he's just too successful. Too successful. <laughs> yeah. You can definitely yeah. tell a Christopher Nolan film, he's definitely like a, a, an auteur director. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah artist, I think but... auteur director is different from the cult, but uh, I mean, would you say the same about Tarantino though? Or would you still say... Er- early Tarantino cult movies. Yeah. I think Kill as Bill soon as you hit... I, th- I think Kill Bill's the turning point for me. I think Kill Bill's somewhere between cult film that going into the mainstream because everything he did after Kill Bill, you look at like Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they're they're like fairly mainstream releases after that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they were like widely publicised and made a, a shit ton of cash. You know what I mean? Upon opening, so. So you're thinking more like Jackie Brown in that then? I think Jackie Brown is the Jackie most culty so of his class. films. Yeah, that is so that's the hidden the hidden gem in his. Mate, uh, seriously, is, uh, who was it? Says it didn't like it was a McCann or something. I think it might have been McCann, yeah. Because I, I, I honestly think it's one of the most underrated, and I, and I've, I maybe do come out with the more controversial mm-hmm. um, opinions with Tarantino's because I, I love uh, Hateful Eight and stuff as well. I think that, yeah. And I know you have your own views on it with about it being a play and stuff, but I, mm-hmm. I think it is a play. It's just yeah, a film, a filmed play. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a film. <laughs> uh, it's obviously written as a play, absolutely, and mm-hmm. uh, it would have been, it would be great on stage as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's why I like it more is because it absolutely is a play, but he's decided I'm making that movie. Smaller. Do you know what I mean? I like that. Um, I think that's why, again, it, it appeals to me. Um, Jackie Brown is class. Like I think it goes so under the radar, as you said. It's a hidden gem. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's so much like... It's like a, a combination of Pulp Fiction and... Um, no, what's the other? I'm trying to think of another one that's... Like that Reservoir Dogs, like it's because it's in yeah, between the yeah, two of them. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. It's a kind of combination of that. It's it's giving you the, the sort of uh, nitty gritty, mm. like just there's an authentic feel to a lot of Tarantino films because yeah. because he just doesn't he doesn't you know uh, doesn't yeah. censor anything really. There's a lot of Aye. lack of censoring things. So there's no compromise as well. Like everything that he wants happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like it's, which is. It's it's a if you're collaborating with Tarantino, I can imagine it'd be pretty frustrating. But at the same time, like it gives it, like you said, it gives his films just the oh, flavour. Gives it know? class. Gives it absolute class. Mm-hmm. Um, no, on the on the list, Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction are the only two that are on there. I'm pretty sure on this comedy. Mm-hmm. 
mm. uh, list. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, Kill Bill, Kill Bill. I'm not going to complain about it being oh, on any Kill list, Bill. you know. Kill <laughs> Bill. I had so much doubts with Kill Bill, mind I used to just... Because there's to... the sense of, like, it, I think your concern is what we discussed earlier, like, is this going to be fit within the terms of the world they set up? You know, I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah. probably the concern you had going in, but they do it so. I love the world of Kill Bill, man. I really would. I've I've said this for years on animated Kill Bill series. Like, I would love that so much. Yeah, that would be pretty sick. The the comic the comic uh, scene, you know, <sighs> the comic strip, oh uh, is absolutely fucking class. Like that that just gives it, as you said, like just so much flavour, man. Like Tarantino's mm. just went, nah, this bit is going to be a comic. <laughs> He's absolutely <laughs> went. Guy Fieri and he's took the movie all the way to Flavortown is what's happened there (laughs) (laughs) well we're going to wrap up there for the day like I said we could probably get another chat with episode of you down the line because we've covered we've been here an hour but like only half my life (laughs) there's so much more you can get into but thank you very much you enjoyed it would you do another one down the line do you think of course I I love chatting. I love chatting. <laughs> if no one else will, I suppose. Anyway, guys, <laughs> go check out First Time Films, Full Time Football, FTTV, all of them. Go into the FTTV uh, Twitter page. Uh, probably uh, the final of our television tournament will be going up on the Twitter. So get involved in that. Vote for what you think. The final will be between Still Game. And as we speak, there's a rematch going on for the other semi-final between Game of Thrones and The Simpsons, who tied 50-50 yesterday. I always knew that was going to be a tough one. I was like, either way, this is controversial. So yeah, you know, I just I just closed my eyes and clicked a button, to be honest. Because <laughs> uh, I couldn't actually choose. I, I, I knew that the hate was going to get... If I went for Game of Thrones, I knew that I was going to get hate off McCann because yeah. The Simpsons was getting... Was getting he's, he's what was it? Being nearly beat The Simpsons, Simpsons again? Well, uh, uh, Peaky Blinders put out Sopranos, which got I'm really upset but then oh, yeah. he thought he thought Peaky Blinders was going to put out the Simpsons as well so he's ah. going to be absolutely human but uh, <laughs> thankfully he didn't no nothing's good anyway guys catch you later here's Prince to play us out <laughs> <laughs> cheers for listening bye bye